questions as we think about God's Word. Does the pastor or myself have a more holy job than one who cleans septic tanks? Is the one who is praying more holy in the moment than the one who is putting on makeup? Is our church building, I'm talking the building, more holy than a bedroom in your home? Is the moment of excitement or thrill in a worship service more holy than the moment of deep despair when you find out you've lost your job? Is a choice to take an hour to read the Bible a more holy choice than taking an hour to play a game as a family? Is there ever a moment in time or a circumstance or a response or relating to his father or in a relationship when God is not holy? Is there ever a moment in time, a circumstance, a response or relationship when God is not holy? Ponder your answer. It has some very deep consequences. Peter tells us hearers, as we've been discussing from 1 Peter, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter's hearers were to be holy as God is holy. Believers today are to be holy as God is holy. Since God is holy 24-7, in every circumstance, in every response, in every relationship, in every choice and activity, his elect children are to be holy. Since the beginning of time as we know it, in the Garden of Eden onward, the enemy Satan has been luring people to question, to doubt God. After luring to doubt, he shares his lies. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. Therefore, this morning we want to consider one of his lies briefly that has been accepted, I think, pretty broadly in the evangelical community without much questioning. I will share the lie briefly, amplify it, state its consequences, and then we'll devote time to God's will, God's plan. God's truth, so that we understand Scripture. And please remember as we think about lies, the key to recognizing lies is not to know every lie that may come floating down the pike, but to be saturated with the truth. God's word, God's plan, God's will, God's desire. If we're well acquainted with the real, the genuine, we'll immediately recognize lies. I remember years ago, I was on the way home from the church in which I was working in Alabama. And I turned on the radio, trying to stay awake. And the speaker came on and listened to him a couple minutes, and I thought, something's not right. And I listened a little more, and I thought, there's more not right. And I couldn't put my you know, mind on anything in particular. And uh, you know, he went off the air, and... The next week, uh, when I was coming home, I again turned it on, and I thought, boy, this guy's just not right. 
And then he made a very blanket and bold statement. I thought, ah, now I know what's wrong. He ended up being a false teacher that I recognize the name. And if I mentioned the name, probably many of you would recognize the name since passed into eternity. But I knew the truth. I didn't necessarily know all that he was teaching and some of the falsehood, but it hit pretty quickly because of the truth. So a lie that's been floating around, and this is springing from an application of 1 Peter 13 through 16, the lie is life is both sacred and secular. Life is both sacred and secular. There are sacred points in time, but the majority of life is secular. So life is a series of contrasts, according to this lie. When you're doing something sacred, yield to God. When you're doing something secular, you control it. When you're doing something or involved in something sacred, you depend on God. When you're doing something secular, you depend upon yourself. When you're doing something Sacred, God decides. When you're doing something secular, you decide. The sacred and secular divide results in life lived and saying there are sacred professions, there are secular professions, there are sacred moments in time, there are choices that are sacred, there's some secular. There's relationships, some are sacred, sacred, some are secular. There's activities that are secular, some are sacred. There's places that are sacred versus some that are secular. There's objects that are sacred, there's some that are secular. There are people, some are sacred, some are secular. That has an impact. There are second-class, second-rate professions, moments, choices, Relationships, activities, places, objects, and people. The thinking is, I get to control the areas of life that are secular. The thinking is, I'm not as good as a Pastor Dan because I'm not involved in a sacred task. I'm not as good as a missionary as Paul because I'm not involved in a sacred task. The thinking God is not interested or concerned about what I watch on TV. God is not interested and concerned about because all I'm doing today is cleaning the house. God is not concerned about what activity I do tonight because it doesn't involve getting together with believers. That sacred secular divide. What does scripture teach? Scripture teaches something else because when we use terms like full-time Christian service, Better be careful how you use that. Is there full-time Christian service? Oh, yeah, I get my income from what we call full-time Christian service. 
But am I the only one in this church in full-time Christian service? We need to understand what God says because believers many times back off from ministry 24-7 because they don't do it like the full-time professional. Again, the sacred-secular divide. What does God say? And I'm going to mention the Mosaic Law, and if you want to turn to Exodus 20, you can. And the reason I'm referring to the Mosaic Law is because Peter says... Be holy as God is holy. That's a quote from Leviticus tied in with the Mosaic Law. Being holy as God is holy. In Exodus chapter 20, we find that Moses is giving the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters. You should not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your maidservant or manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The first four commands deal with, you want to say, the vertical relationship? Israel in that day relating to the Lord who had brought them out of Egypt. But it involves relationships. And as you read through Exodus and you read through Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, there is much said about Israel and their worship of God, how they were to worship, the types of sacrifices they were to bring, the type of offerings they were to bring. And then in verses 12 through 17, we find six more commands, as we call them. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You should not give false testimony against your neighbor. You should not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These last six commands deal with what we might call horizontal relationships, relating to people. And you will find that Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is filled with building upon what we call the Ten Commandments in relationships with other people. The bottom line is, God's telling us how to live in relationship, or Israel, how to live in relationship with him and how to live as a nation. The Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law in its fullness, discusses all of daily living 
treatment of animals, treatment of slaves, treatment of pregnant women, what to do with an uncovered pit, stealing sheep, the Sabbath, going to the bathroom, offerings, eating, infectious skin diseases, mildew, sexuality, harvest of crops, and we could go on. The Mosaic Law deals with all of life, 24-7, relating to God, relating to people. And it is in that context that Peter says, quoting from the Mosaic Law, be holy as I am holy. In Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 40, we find that Jesus was asked, which is the greatest command? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and prophets are summed up in those two statements. Love God. Care for your neighbor. So when Peter says, but just as he who called you is holy in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. What does he mean? Is there sacred times? Is there secular times? Are there sacred people? Are there secular people? And so on. Let's see what Peter says. In 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Notice he talks about evil desires. Do not conform to the evil desires that you had. Part of holiness is dealing with evil desires. Look at verses 18 and 19 of 1 Peter 1. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He talks about an empty way of life talks about being redeemed from it, an empty way of life that lets God out. In verse 22 of chapter 1, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. There's to be a sincere love that involves relationships. In chapter 2, of First Peter. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. You ever stop and think about what happened in Israel, what happened in the day Peter was writing, what happens today when there is malice, there is deceit, there's hypocrisy, there's envy, and there's slander in relationships? Peter says, rid yourself. That's part of being holy, getting rid of those items. I'm not going to get off on a tangent here at all, but we just had the 
deal with the Supreme Court judge. How much malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander was expressed in the process of what? You know, seating a Supreme Court justice. Be holy. Notice what he says in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. As aliens and strangers abstain from sinful desires. The believer lives on this earth as an alien and as a stranger. This is not our home. We're passing through. <clears throat> and he says, abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. We have desires. They war against our soul, seeking to lead us astray. And part of holiness is to abstain. You can't put off without putting on. So he says in verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Put off, put on, part of holiness. In verses 13 through 25, we find Peter addresses his hearers, which would be applicable to us today. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. He says, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, due respect. You ever think about holiness is involved in how you drive? You ever think about holiness being involved in how you talk about civil authority? As Peter writes to his hearers, Nero may possibly have been ruling at that time, but some of the great persecution that came later was not present at the time. But holiness involves how Peter's hearers spoke about Nero. No, civil authority. He talks about slaves. We don't have slavery in our country. We have employee employers. But an employer submitting to the boss with all respect. Not only do those that are good and considerate, but all those who are harsh. That ties in with holiness. That's a large part of the average person's life. In chapter 3, 1 through 7, he talks about marriage. Think about marriage as being holy and how you express holiness, how you relate to your husband, a gentle and a quiet spirit, how you as a husband relate to your wife, treating her with respect as the weaker partner and heirs of the gracious gift of life. We read in Judges chapter 19, if you want to say a gross passage, but happened, how a man treated his concubine. He was not holy. Peter says to men, to husbands, be holy in the way you treat your wife. Be considerate. Treat with respect. As a weaker partner, she's an heir of the gracious gift of life. In chapter 3, 8 through 12, we find that Peter talks about relationships. 
In verse 8, he says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Think about relationships. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Do you ever have anyone say to you and you shared a struggle, you're going through something difficult, get over it. Get on with life. No, not real sympathetic. <coughs> Compassionate. The Gary Han had surgery. Part of Jim's being holy is to be compassionate towards her. We're talking about rubber meets the road when Peter says, Be holy as I am holy, quoting from Leviticus. Peter goes on, verses 23 through 20, or verses 13 through 22 of 1 Peter 3, he says, uh, Don't fear what unbelievers fear. Think about fear tied in with holiness and daily living. Peter also, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4, talks about desires and actions. He says in verse 1, Therefore Christ suffered in his body. Arm yourself also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You spend enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Peter is saying, these are items that you put off. You deal with your desires, you deal with your actions, part of being holy. In verses 7 through 11 of chapter 4, he talks about relationships. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. You ever keep record of someone's sins? Love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Open your home. Judges 19. Man opened his home. Hospitable. I realize we don't travel in the same way as they might. But there is a group of people in our country today, and there's a network you can get on, and I don't know the particulars, where you can drive across the country and stay in people's homes. They're opening their homes. Offer hospitality. He talks about suffering in chapter 4 and verse 12. And the suffering here seems to be partially because they were walking with God. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as there's something stranger happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You take a stand for 
God on the job in the sense that you work hard, you don't back off. When other people are saying, don't work as hard, you make us look bad. And you get criticized for that. And you come home and someone in your family says, how was your day today? I'm rejoicing because I get criticized because I was working hard as to the Lord and they told me not to. That's part of being holy. We find that in chapter 5, 1 through 4, he talks about leaders. He talks about elders. And he says, you know, shepherd the flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. No, not greedy for money, eager to serve. The way I, the way Scott, the way Arden, the way we would lead in our church, the way the deacons would lead, is part of being holy. He also addresses generation gap. In verse 5 of 1 Peter 5, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Younger guy, be submissive to an older guy. And then he goes on. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. A proud person is basically one that says, I can run my own life. I don't need God. A humble person is, what does God say? Peter addresses also in verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. God's will or God's plan or truth. Life is a unit with each moment to be lived for God's glory through dependence upon Christ and walking in the Spirit. There's not sacred, there's not secular. It's all to be lived for God's glory. Holiness is displayed by obedience to God in every moment. As you read through the Mosaic Law, read through Exodus and Leviticus in particular, you find every situation is addressed. And it's in that context, be holy as I am holy. He's saying that to Israel. Peter is saying that to his hearers. And that's applicable to us today. Holiness is not a profession, a moment, a relationship, an activity, a place, or an object but responding to God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit every moment. Moment by moment. Responding to God, Christ, and the Spirit because they're with you 24-7. every moment being holy because we're to be holy as God is holy. We are holy as we live in dependence, dependent obedience. That is dependent obedience to the Lord. Be 
Be holy as I am holy. When is God not holy? He always is holy. Be holy as I am holy. When are we not to be holy? There are no moments. All of life is to be holy. My encouragement is to see life as a unit. Live for God's glory. And that means recognizing that self must be pushed into the background. What does God desire? How does he desire for us to respond? See life as a unit for God's glory. And putting aside our selfish sinful desires. Does the pastor have a more holy job than the one who cleans septic tanks? No. Both are to be equally holy in how they respond. Is the one who is praying more holy in the moment than the one who is putting on makeup? Both are to be holy. See, the one praying can be focused on God or their minds may be drifting and going the wrong direction. The one putting on makeup might be looking at the face and saying, no, I'm not as young as I used to be. I don't like the way God created me. That's not being holy. Both being equally holy. Is our church building more holy than a bedroom in your house? Light of scripture, no. We're to be holy whether we're in the building here or we're in our bedroom. Is the moment of excitement through in a worship service more holy than the moment of deep despair when you're told you lost your job? Both are to be holy. I had a bulletin last Sunday that, uh, you know, Ruth and I went to a pastor's conference Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I'm not any very emotional guy most of the time. But as we were singing some songs, you know, I had to get my hanky out a couple of times and dab my eyes. And was that holy? Was that moment more holy? than when I was mowing the yard on Friday. They're both to be equally holy as we yield to God. Is a choice to take an hour to read the Bible a more holy choice? than an hour to play a game as a family. The issue is going to be being holy, whether you're playing a game or reading scripture. So my question that I've asked several times, is there ever a moment in time, circumstance, response, relationship, when God is not holy? The answer is no. He remains holy. He's holy in eternity past. Whatever eternity past looks like, I can't fathom that. He's holy in the present. He's going to remain holy in the future. Always holy. God says, be holy. As I am holy. All of life being holy. Let's pray together. Father, in light of your word, it's our desire to be holy. We know we struggle with that at times. We have ups and downs. 
but keep us sensitive. And help us to keep in mind that even when we struggle, when we blow it, you continue to work in our life. And part of being holy when we blow it is to admit it and rest in your forgiveness and in your grace. May we as a body of believers in our daily lives 24-7 be pursuing holiness for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray.